Hi, and uh, welcome back to our third installment of uh, season two of Formula 101's mini-series. So if you're new here, first off, welcome. Happy to have you. If you're not, welcome back. And so you know that these little 15-minute quick episodes I am calling uh, Driver Spotlight. Last season, I did what I called the ABCs of F1, and they kind of went through the alphabet. I chose a few terms, broke them down under each letter, hence the name ABCs, into kind of digestible, easy-to-understand conversations. And so this season, we're switching it up. It's not going to be terms, it's drivers. And as I said, this is my third episode. I've previously done Lewis Hamilton and Farina, and today we are still going to be back at the very start of Formula One. Uh, We're going to be talking about Juan Manuel Fangio, a very, very successful driver that many highlight for his domination in the first decade of Formula One's official running. So I'm excited to talk about him. He had some really interesting nicknames. He was called El Maestro um, and El Mejor, which transfers to the master or the best one. So we're going to get into his uh, background, his stats, his impact on F1, and we'll all wrap it up in a few minutes. So thank you for coming along, and let's get started. So for background, uh, Fangio was born in Argentina in 1911, and he passed away in 1995 at 84 years old. And he spent eight seasons in Formula One, which doesn't sound like a lot, obviously, compared to drivers now who (laughs) have been going on decades. Uh, But, you know, remember that Formula One kind of officially started running in 1950. And a lot of the guys that were on the track at the time, at the time that it started, had been racing for many years previous to that. So they were a bit older and didn't race as long. But nonetheless, Fangio would go on to win five championships along the way, putting him as one of the the winningest drivers in Formula One. I think he is number three on the list of most championships all time behind Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher. And so he had 51 race starts, which again, doesn't sound like a lot compared to to now, but we're going to kind of discuss that comparison in a second. But he won 24 of 51 races giving him a winning percentage of roughly 47%. So he won almost half the races he participated in. And this is also the highest winning percentage of all time across all drivers in F1 history. He had 29 pole positions, 23 fastest laps, 35 podiums, and 43 points finishes. So he did very, very well in the eight years that he was in F1. And like I said, he kind of began his racing career not in Formula One. He was, he, he was uh, you know, guys like Max Verstappen or Sebastian Vettel are joining F1 when they're teenagers. He joined F1 much later in life. Um, he did kind of a variety of other organized series and groups like most guys. And most of the racing that he did prior to Formula One was in Argentina, his home country, and he would often drive in long-distance races. So he had come home from his military service as a young man and opened up a garage where he kind of fueled his interest in cars that really, you know, followed him around um, in, into his career. 
And he, so he spent a lot of time building cars as well as driving them. He specifically drove a lot of Chevrolet cars and was the Argentine national champion in 1940 and 1941. And so he would participate in these long distance racing uh, races. As I said, they were kind of more, I guess, more rally style. You could think of them because they would go over many days and they would be on a variety of stages or environments, landscapes. They would trek through mountain ranges, deserts, forests, beaches, all things like that. So it wasn't a asphalt track like you think of a regular circuit. It was actually kind of like out in the wild, if you will. But after a particularly bad accident during one of these races that actually killed some spectators and fellow racers, but left Fangio alive, he didn't know if he wanted to race again. He was uh, depressed after that. He felt very, very unwell. So he would take a few years off of racing because of that. But not for long. He wasn't gone for long because his racing and his skill had caught the attention of the Argentine Automobile Club and the Argentine government at the time. And they were the ones who actually bought him a car, a Maserati, and sent him to Europe in December of 1948 to continue his career. They wanted him to keep going. Now, moving actually to Formula One, he would begin that in 1950 with Alfa Romeo. He raced alongside Farina, who I spoke about in a previous episode. Farina won the inaugural championship in 1950, but that would be his only win. And Fangio would go on to win his first of five championships in 1951. But the crazy thing was that he actually had to go and find a new seat immediately after he won that championship. So the regulations in Formula One changed really dramatically between uh, 1951 and 1952, kind of similar to the regulation changes we're seeing in this upcoming season. So the regulations were so great that Alfa Romeo couldn't keep up. They knew their cars were not suited to these new changes and that they would not be able to compete to the level that they wanted to. So instead of revising their designs or going back to the the drawing board, they pulled out and that left Fangio without a car or without a seat all while after just winning the second championship of all time. And so he would go on um, to kind of have a racing incident in 1952 that would leave him absent from the F1 grid for a bit of time. He would he would take some time away to recover and would rejoin in 1953 with Maserati this time after kind of getting over that incident, feeling better, wanting to get behind the wheel. And then in 1954, he would start the season with Maserati, but actually switch teams halfway through the season to Mercedes, which sounds odd because currently when we only think of drivers switching teams, usually it's a discussion that involves Red Bull and their junior slash sister team, AlphaTauri slash Toro Rosso. Uh, but we don't hear about people going to totally separate teams. But that was a thing that <laughs> happened early in F1. And so he moved to Mercedes kind of halfway through. And during that time, 
he was actually battling some up-and-comers, some some new guys that I'm sure you'll recognize, uh, Sir Sterling Moss and Albert Alberto Ascari, two very famous names in Formula One and motorsport history. Now, in 1956, he would move to Ferrari, where he won his fourth title, even though Mr. Ferrari apparently did not like Fangio. <laughs> um, he would struggle to kind of fit in with the team and... Uh, work with the kind of fellow drivers and the leadership there, but he didn't let that stop him. He would kind of make this decision. He actually asked the team if he could have one mechanic that worked exclusively for him. Because at this time, the drivers would share mechanics and uh, they didn't have specific kind of groups for specific drivers. Now, obviously, we have kind of a separation in the garage, even at the same team with a specific engineer that always works with one driver and a specific engineer that works with the other. So there's not any mix over in early F1. That wasn't a thing. Everybody worked for everybody at a team, but Fangio realized that in asking for a specific mechanic, he would maybe be able to figure out the mechanical problems that were, were kind of plaguing his car and be able to set it up in a way that benefited him more specifically than his teammate. And this worked out because it helped him kind of reinvent the car in a way that allowed him to be a lot more successful and better suit his driving style. But then in 1954, he actually returned to Maserati where he won his fifth and final championship. And like I said, that five championship record lasted a hell of a long time, nearly 50 years until 2003, when Michael Schumacher broke that with his sixth. Now, this season kind of holds what many would highlight as his best show of driving or his best Grand Prix. This was at the German Grand Prix of 1957 at the Nürburgring, and he was racing for the championship here, but he had a really bad pit stop in the middle of the race, or towards the end of the race, excuse me, that put him nearly 50 seconds behind the Ferraris that he was chasing. And you hear 50 seconds and you're like, that's an eternity. There's no way. It's like he's racing in a different country. There's, he, can't, he can't catch up. Uh, but remember that the, the kind of Nürburgring is 14 miles long. It's not two or three like we normally see. It's super, super long. And so that, that kind of gave him a lot of time to catch up with a circuit being that extensive. And there, there, the kind of other thing working against him is that there was only 10 laps remaining. But in ever a show of skill, in those 10 laps remaining, he broke the circuit record nine times. The lap record before this, I think the year before from 1956, was around nine minutes and 41 seconds but he brought it down to nine minutes and 17 seconds. So slapping kind of 20 seconds off of that in, in 10 laps, that's, that's insane. But it got even better because he passed the leaders with two wheels on the grass going on to win the championship that year. So he really proved his mettle even in the face of adversity. And now he would retire a year later in 1958 but he accomplished an incredible amount over his career, really starting off 
Formula One with a lot of excitement and good competition and records that still stand to this day. Now, the one of the things that I wanted to speak about and that I came across a lot in researching about Fangio is obviously the discussion of who's the greatest of all time. We're, we're, we're always talking about that now, especially with Lewis, but people find it difficult to obviously have an answer for that because it's hard to compare drivers from 2022 to 1950, and everything was different, and some people say that Fangio deserves a seat at the table, some don't, but I think in having this discussion, you actually have to understand the differences between the time periods and actually know that they exist and what they are before you can kind of evaluate whether or not you agree that Fangio is one of the greatest. I believe he is is one of the greatest of all time. Um, but first, yes, you have to acknowledge that the drivers during Fangio's time were not professional drivers. It was not their main job. They had other occupations. Some of them were princes and various wealthy gentlemen. Obviously, they had a lot of money lying around so they could take the time to go and drive in exotic places. And now our current drivers do it for a living. They get paid millions of dollars to do it. It's their job. And now the other two larger differences. One, the cars were definitely different. Yeah, that's obvious, as well as the safety. So the cars had no power steering. They had no electrical aids to help them keep the car under control. The tires were not meant to last or as carefully manufactured as they are today by Pirelli. The cars had limited stopping ability. Races lasted much longer than the limit of two hours we have now. They would go three plus hours. And the physical impact of such lengthy, strenuous activity would definitely take a toll on the driver's bodies. And now second, we have safety. This is huge. We've seen more and more improvements being made over the years in the current hybrid era of Formula One, like with the Halo. But imagine how it was in 1950. Some of them didn't even wear seatbelts. Uh, the cars were not that protective. The helmets the drivers wore wouldn't really protect them from much. They didn't have a balaclava or a full helmet or a Hans device. They really just had some goggles and what looked like a bike helmet. And also the tracks were not that safe. They often didn't have guardrails or many manufactured elements to delineate the edges of the circuit. Often it was just nature. It was some trees or a house that, that was like, this is where the track stops and this is where the track starts. And you can kind of see a little bit of this still at a spa, which is nestled in the mountains and there are houses super close to the track. Often this is common with kind of rally races since those tend to go through such various rural areas and over long distances. So there obviously aren't grandstands or seating for the fans across the whole areas. Uh, so my, my point in saying all of this is that Fangio's greatness and prowess in the sport may be difficult to compare to current drivers because of how kind of gargantuan these differences in a lot of facets of the sport were. They may not be entirely compatible in a way where you can really make a sound judgment or as, as sound a judgment as you'd like, but that doesn't take away from his skill. If you want to go strictly off of stats, no, uh, no subjective interpretation of his driving style, the era, all of that, 
Many have stated that he is the greatest driver of all time simply based off of the numbers and the data. So he had to drive during a time when the sport was a lot less controlled and a lot rougher. Deaths were more common and there was less regulation. It was so different, but many will look at his stats and go simply because of how the numbers look and we can compare numbers across the board. That's a lot more objective. If you look just in numbers, many will put him at the very top of the list. And he is incredibly highly regarded in the sporting world by the greats like Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, and Lewis Hamilton, who are all at the top of the sport as well. They have spoken about how good Fangio was and how much he impacted the sport. Ayrton said, what he did in his time is something that was an example of professionalism, of courage, of style, and as a man, as a human being. Every year there is a winner of the championship, but not necessarily a world champion. I think Fangio is the example of a true world champion. And I think this quote, you know, is particularly relevant even today with the handling of the season last year um, in terms of kind of what makes a good world champion and how, how they act. But nonetheless, I think Fangio kind of ranks pretty high on the list. Uh, comparing him to Michael and Lewis, he may not have as many championships, but seeing kind of taking into account everything, if you want to look at it subjectively and really take in a whole picture, his time of driving was very different than Lewis's, but Lewis's could also be said to be more different from, from Michael. So it is ultimately subjective, uh, but I think Fangio deserves kind of his title as one, if not the greatest of all time. So that wraps up my discussion of Juan Manuel Fangio, and I will be back in a few weeks with another episode, so please stay tuned. Thank you.